podcast about songwriting with your hosts Travis Reitzma and Derek Harrison. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Hey folks, you're listening to the fourth episode of I Quit My Job. My name is Travis Reitzma. Today on the show we have Rachel Cardiello, a Toronto singer-songwriter who grew up in Montana and spent some time in Victoria, BC. Uh, this conversation that we have with her is is the most personal podcast that we've done so far, and I imagine it will be the most personal podcast that we do for quite some time. Uh, Rachel really opened up to us, and it was a, an enlightening conversation, not just about songwriting, but about dealing with grief and dealing with depression, two things that I know almost everyone who listens to this has dealt with at some point in their life. And before we uh, started the podcast, uh, we, we had got together with Rachel at this little cafe on Bloor Street in Toronto. And uh, just to kind of get the conversation going, because really, uh, Derek, I think, had met Rachel very briefly at a show uh, beforehand, but I had never met Rachel. And so we just wanted to get comfortable with one another, uh, get a conversation going kind of before we started, just so that it would uh, sort of, you know, make things a little friendlier. And it actually worked very, very well, as you'll hear. Uh, But during that that initial conversation uh, in the cafe, which obviously is not recorded, um, we, we were talking and it turns out that, uh, we have this mutual friend, uh, Derek and I started talking about our favorite singer songwriters. And I, I think I mentioned Johnny West, who's a Windsor based singer songwriter and a very close friend of mine. He actually produced, uh, my last album. And, uh, so we started talking about Johnny and, you know, it occurred to Rachel, Hey, I know Johnny too. We were actually pen pals, uh, years ago. Uh, so we had this really crazy kind of conversation about how brilliant, uh, Johnny is. And, um, You'll hear you'll hear more about Johnny in the future. I am sure we will have him on this on this podcast at some point. Uh, I don't think it would be a complete uh, podcast about songwriting without bringing Johnny on. But it really opened up the conversation because Johnny tends to bring the personal out in people. He's a very uh, interesting guy who is a great songwriter and a great person. And so it just really kind of opened up things for us and allowed us to sort of talk pretty frankly with Rachel, and, and we uh, we got to know her really well. It's a great conversation, and stick around afterwards, because Derek is going to tell an anecdote in the outro uh, that relates to what we talk about with Rachel. So, enjoy this podcast. This is Rachel Cardiello, Toronto-based singer-songwriter in the band Warm Electric Winter. Enjoy. Did you find you Happy Family Day. Yeah, happy Family Day to you. <laughs> uh, do they have Family Day in Montana? My mom has it off. I think it's it may be President's Day. Oh yeah, that's totally what it's it is. A, it's a don't. It's a different. Yeah. Is that what Family Day is based on? Yeah. Like well, we that, stole it from an American. We holiday. needed a February holiday, so we just made it the same time. Mm. I think that was the thing. I like the idea of Family Day. I think only, that's an amazing. It's only been around thing. since what, like oh five, oh six. Yeah, it's fairly, I remember when it was invented. Yeah. Dates us before because, yeah, Prime Minister Day just doesn't have a a ring to it. (laughs) No, we don't don't care enough about our prime ministers (laughs) to to honor them in that way. (laughs) We're a very politically ignorant people, (laughs) it's more all of us, it's more politically indifferent. So, yeah, they're probably fine. That's true. I mean, the only thing President's (laughs) Day is is just like give you a give you a day off. I can't, I can't think of a single like way to celebrate President's Day. Yeah, I don't think we even studied presidents surrounding the date. It's just like <laughs> there's no big propaganda stuff going on. No, mm. surprising. Mm. So, um, what what brought you to Canada then? Is you you're, so you grew up in Montana? That's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I um, in at the end of high school, I really wanted to study music and didn't know entirely what that meant. I was playing viola and uh, I knew I wasn't. I think I was just glorifying Arcade Fire and wanted to be like. <laughs> a string player in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the schools I auditioned at in the States were just purely classical. And so uh, my dad, there's a band called the Clumsy Lovers from from Vancouver that's like, they have this crazy fiddler who like just fiddles the hell out of the violin and, and uh, jumps around and dances the whole time. And they tour through Montana and, and he like tracked down like what school she went to. So we went and auditioned at uh, University of Victoria. 
And I think what sold me on it was my um, the viola teacher there played in Paul McCartney's string quartet once his wife died. Mm. And so that was like my like beacon of like, okay, she gets it. Like she'll, <laughs> yeah. she'll lead me towards a different world. Um, but it turned out to be like the most straight up classical school ever. Really? Yeah. So oh yeah. I'm, that's why I like it was exactly Anna, as bad as all the other schools. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was still a, in a, like a really interesting experience and I love quartet playing and I love mm. the symphonies and just getting to play with that quality of musicians was really kind of an opportunity I, I wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the whole program was strictly classical. My, the viola teacher, like Joanna Hood is her name, totally understood me, which was a, a huge difference in that she right from the start was like, I'll give you the skills and you're going to, you do what you need to do with them. Hmm. Like understanding, like I, I'm just not built for the the classical, classical world, yeah. yeah. It's a very different style of music. I yeah, mean, I've noticed that a lot. Like, it, um, actually, my my girlfriend comes from a sort of a classical background. She was classically trained vocally, hmm. and uh, yeah, it's just a very it's a very different way of approaching music. Very, it's much more academic and sciency almost. Like, yeah. I know it sounds weird, but it's it's, well, it's very a craft. It's less organic, and that's not to say that she like she sort of busts out of that. But, but I, yeah, it's, it's it was like really. Um, surprising to me how uncreative it was mm-hmm. yeah. like it, it's expressive and it's you're learning a craft but there is like you're just learning so many tools and and any there's a few really outstandingly creative people in the program um and i i don't feel that they were ever channeled in a way that encouraged that creativity mm-hmm. and you'd mm-hmm. cross the street and go to the art program mm-hmm. and that's like the visual art students were like all, all they were doing was like finding self-expression and it was wow. mm-hmm. way more inspiring just because they were doing crazy stuff. And like one kid at our school um, wrote an entire opera based on a Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax. And it was oh, just yeah. like... Oh, that's my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. This, this kid was nuts and he's so just like put so much work into it and the school kept like trying to put up blockades for him to not perform it at the school because it wasn't the tr- traditional material. Right. And it was like... Man, oh, here this kid is... A little soul-sucking. Oh, it's so soul-sucking. It's like, okay, so they're not going to want any part of what we do outside mm. of their given box. But that's why you met Anna? Yeah. And she was a student as well? She was a student. And so we, like, right when I auditioned, um, our viola teacher was like, there's, there's this girl, Anna Atkinson, who's a really incredible songwriter, and you guys should meet up. I think you would really get along. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. That was a plus side to being in that constraining of an environment that the people who were going crazy in it gravitated to each other right. and like kind of clung on for dear life. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah Anna's, Anna's really talented too. Like we, there's a Windsor connection there. She's from Windsor. So yeah, she's really great. So, mm-hmm. that, so how long, so do you still collaborate with her often or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Toronto, it's like, she's really got an interesting career going here. That's way more connected with the theater community. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked at Stratford for a couple summers and um but we we get together and have coffee and we're um our old band was called blue richard and the apricots Mm -hmm. and so at some point we're going to launch a a reunion but we need to build the nostalgia in toronto because it only exists in victoria (laughs) (laughs) so it's going to be a longer haul word of mouth yeah Yeah. it's like did you know about this band Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah she she's still one of my favorite people to play music with though it's like it's a, a different, like, soul side to mm-hmm. it that and I really you, miss. And you both play viola, right? Yeah. yeah. So th- is that how you, you principally write with each other then, is, is through? It it started off, in Victoria, it was, like, it was a really magical way to collaborate because we would just, you know, get together and, and constantly be trying new songs. We hardly ever worked on old material because we would just have, like, um, it, it was more just an exchange of ideas. Mm-hmm. And then we would like throw ourselves into performing without even really having rehearsed really? the material that much because we were just so excited about our new our new songs. Did did they have a big improvisation element to them, or was it yeah, just... kind of like I I would play my song and she would just kind of go with it. work around it, whatever mm-hmm. she needed to do. And we started off bringing like every instrument possible because I'd have like <laughs> one song on banjo, two songs on ukulele. She'd have like three accordion songs and mm-hmm. like a piano. Like, so we'd lug all these instruments. <laughs> it was <laughs> terrible. That's a sign of very excited. Oh yeah. We were just so jazzed up. So eventually we like, um, 
refined it, it down. Refined it yeah. to just two violas. So we would just accompany mm. ourselves and mm. play really out of tune viola that gradually became <laughs> more and more in tune. <laughs> and then how did you make it to Toronto? Um, so I met at a music festival like this the summer I was going to... I graduated school and my last summer in Canada is moving to Portland after that. Mm-hmm. And I met James Burroughs. Oh, yeah. My partner. And... um. He had just ridden the train with Dave Newberry across Canada, the Via Rail thing, and him, or myself and his best friend ended up on a songwriter's lineup at um, mm. Campbell Bay Music Festival, which is, it's the music festival that um, Adam from Fish and Bird puts on. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. On, on Main Island, and it's, it's like... Taylor was talking about that when we, when we had him in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's, I gotta check it so out. So his family yeah. has this um, yeah, it's the an island old sheep that they farm. rehearse on. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 And they clear off all the sheep and they build a giant, beautiful wooden stage. And it's hmm. gotten, it's all just word of mouth, but it's getting bigger and bigger. It's like mm-hmm. 500 people, mm-hmm. maybe more. So you met James. So I met James and then we G-chatted for a year. I tried to like move on with my American life and uh-huh. moved to Portland. And then he up and decided to move to Portland too. And then um, he was finishing a master's, so we moved back to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And how long ago was that? Three and a half years. Oh, how do you like it? It's good. I mean, this is the wrong part of the year to talk to me about it. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. Like, yes. But I, do you think you you live in Canada now? Is that the thing? Yeah, I just yeah. got permanent residency. Like, oh, really? Congratulations. Yeah, a Welcome couple months ago. Yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> so it, Canada is interesting, though, because I, I feel... <clears throat> because I've spent my whole adult life crossing the border so often between school and, and mm. life here, it's just I I compare cities more to countries. Like the difference between, you know, Montana and New York is just as big as New York to Toronto. Like there's the mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the country divide doesn't make that sen- that is much it? sense to me mm-hmm. when people okay. try to like make like this is canadian music this is american music this is a difference that doesn't really register with me noticed Mm -hmm. there's like tiny things i can like search for it's like when you're reading your horoscope and you're trying to find yeah you want some way to you want to believe it but Mm -hmm. um and so now every time i have to deal with them being different countries with like border crossings and like you know i want to take my band here on tour to the states but it's going to cost them all so It'll cost me so much money to take them across because mm-hmm. the visa requirements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like incredibly frustrating because there's such limits to what you can do just in Canada. Like I, yeah. I want to bring them to my, to my country. Yeah. Well, then I mean, and, and I mean, it gets weird because in Europe, none of those restrictions are there. Yeah. You know, like you can play. Well, like, some of them are, but nobody nobody abides, abides by them. By yeah. Them. <laughs> Whereas here, you'll get turned around at the border. You get your merch confiscated. You'll you'll confiscated, confiscated, confiscated. Yeah. <laughs> Complicated. I can talk. <laughs> I can I can speak. Yeah, I've been um, to so many shows. I mean, growing up in Windsor, I've been to a lot of shows in at like the State Theater in Detroit, yeah. where I'm actually going to see a Canadian band mm-hmm. yeah. that they just don't play Windsor. They skip over. And I'll mm. be in Detroit mm. to see a Canadian band, and they won't show up because they've been turned away at the border. <laughs> really? And I'm like, this is so strange. What's yeah. going on here? Uh, I just saw Hey Rosetta and Stars actually in uh, in Detroit at the Majestic. <laughs> oh, really? It was because these two like hyper Canadian bands, and they're playing in Detroit. I think like 95 percent of the people at the show were Canadian. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just play in Windsor? Like, we're all from Windsor. Yeah, we right all there, right? <laughs> we'd all go see you there. Oh, yeah. God. So, do you find that? Um, Touring in Canada is very limiting. Um, I've I've toured pockets of it. Like mm-hmm. I, when I released Warm Electric Winter, I, we did like Montana, around Portland up to Vancouver and mm-hmm. down again. And um, I've toured like Alberta and BC with other bands playing in them. Um, and then the only time I've toured out here is like in January. We did a tour to Montreal yeah. with my band and James's band. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, it's, it's so fun. And we like, we all brought ice skates. So we tried to skate in every city, which, <laughs> which just like felt so entirely Canadian. <laughs> which yeah. was, Quintessential Canadian experiences. Yeah. Did you get the Rideau Canal? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The canal is like, it's so magical. And um, that's probably the best place to ice skate. Well, we found one better right outside of Ottawa on the Quebec side. Oh. There's an ice cave 
that you can what? skate. It's an old mining <laughs> cave, and you like, you know, crawl through this fence. I think it's legal. <laughs> you're like, but I mean, there's like a huge pot of people playing hockey in there, and there's giant, giant icicles oh hanging God. down. It's that's really, it's really cool. Magic. I don't even yeah. skate. I don't even skate, and I kind of want to go skate. Yeah, you there, should so. learn how to skate. <laughs> in boots, I can slide around in the ice cave. Yeah, yeah. It's but like, you can't skate either. No, we're guys, the, what, we're the worst Canadians what's, ever. What's, what's going on? <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a summer Canadian. Yeah, yeah, me too. I like to camp. I play baseball and uh, play hockey. Yeah. So you're actually is just it, American. Yeah, just American, basically. Yeah. So is there like is it? In the States, is touring easier? I mean, Are the distances less? Not from Montana. Not in Montana. But like Montana to Seattle to Portland is a, like a really fun drive. And like we're all in Montana, you're so used to distances. Mm. I think it's just that like here in Toronto, we're so close to New York. It's like mm-hmm. under eight hours to New York. And then once you're in New York, it's like think of everywhere. all the major cities that are within, within hours. Mm-hmm. And if you were, you know, if... If that was open to Canadian musicians, that'd be an amazing tour loop to mm-hmm. go Montreal down through the States and back mm-hmm. up. But it's like, you know, how many times can you just go between here and Montreal? And like, it, I don't know. Um, the guy who, I recorded my album in Brooklyn and the, the producer is in a 10-piece funk band called Turquoise and they're amazing. And they tour, like, they all work three days a week in New York City, and then they tour for four days. Wow. And in that region, you can you can do that and always hit up a new community. Without mm-hmm. exhausting your... Without exhausting your yeah, the population. Yeah, because you got Boston, Philadelphia, you yeah. can go down as far as Washington. Yeah, not that D.C., far away, North really. Carolina is not even that yeah. bad. It's just like... Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's such a shame that Canadians, because of the visa requirements, are... I'm just, sorry. I'm on a hellbend about this because we just ran into how much it's going to cost us. No, no. It's we were actually well, going to bring this up with you. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm very and we would, Yeah, I'd love to. But be But that's able to why go Canadians States. are. It seems like they're choosing Europe first because yes, there's no visa so. requirements. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, know, like Emily America's Brown, right there. Um, the Burning Hell. Yep. They're bigger in Europe than anywhere. Windsor like, Windsor musicians yeah. don't don't go to Detroit really. Like not we don't much. play in Detroit, not very often, and if we do, it's not legal. I find a lot, a lot of the like, at least in my Southern Ontario experience, there's a lot of Canadian musicians who've given up on the idea of playing in the states, who've just decided mm-hmm. it's not realistic, and they'll just work on their Canadian side or their European side. Yeah, and it, it limits the scope that you can, because I mean, yeah, you can get well known in that on that Canadian circuit, but I feel like a lot, like mainstream wise, you're not going to get well known unless you're playing in the states. Even to Canadians, you're not going to get well known unless you're playing in the states, which is that weird mm-hmm. sort of cultural yeah. filter that we've got there. But uh, you know, there's only so far you can get. Like the best Canadian songwriters that have basically stayed in Canada, they only get so high. You know, people, even people like Matthew Good. You know, there's a ceiling on how high they can get without really penetrating that American market. Yeah, which is really tough. Yeah. So did you bring the? Uh... The band, the Canadian band, to Brooklyn for the for the record. No, at that point I'd never had a band before, oh. so I was always. And that's the Warm Electric Winter record. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. At that point, I'd always just played solo, or more um, like the first album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just like all layers of me, and then I toured with Tequila Mockingbird Orchestra oh, for yeah. a couple of summers, mm-hmm. and like so I got to feel on a few songs, and we we put on a like a folk opera together of both of our music. Um, I got to feel what it was like to have that like full orchestration. Um, but yeah, when I when I went down to Brooklyn with the producer, we just like layered it up with mm-hmm. the musicians he knows there, and um, it's just like it was so refreshing to hear the sounds that are have been in my head. Like mm-hmm. I think I I've, I've always heard my music as more badass than it comes <laughs> off when I'm just like plucking yeah. a viola. But like I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is really groovy. And they're like, no, you're just plucking a viola. Just picture the bass and drums in your head. Yeah. Yeah, there's such a leap between the first record yeah, and, and the sure. Warm Electric Winter record. We just listened yeah. to them back um, to back this morning. So. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, just the strength of that second record, I've, I was under the assumption that this was a band and that yeah. you'd been working, you wrote these songs as a, for mm-hmm. this band. Like, it sounds like the songwriting has changed. The songwriting changed a lot. And mm-hmm. I, um, and that first record, one, one for the wind I recorded right after I got out of the, the mental hospital. And that was like a very, a very specific 
piece of time. And I like, mm-hmm. I love that record for capturing that feeling and like that fragility. But yeah, it's like so much has changed since then. And, and Warm Electric Winter was like, I just like needed to do something like full and like robust and like yeah. the, mm-hmm. like the so biggest vision I could. How long ago was that first record? Um, I think 20, 2010, I recorded it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a big gap. 2009, and then I like more officially released it 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a really big gap. Do you want to talk about the background of the record? Of which one? Of the first, the first one? one. Oh, one for the win? Yeah. Um, I'd been like recording like little bits just on GarageBand all along. Like mm-hmm. I've just like, it's, it's such a way for me to figure out my own head to be writing music. And then, yeah, that right before I recorded that album, I had um, spent a summer with like a very intense depression and had never really come across that intense yeah. of mm-hmm. a depression before. And it just like totally blindsided me. Like I've, I've just never been that terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to work really hard to get out of that. And um, part of what brought me out of it was um, a, like an antidepressant medication that ended up shooting me into a super manic stage. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it's the same med. My dad was bipolar and he had the same reaction to that med. And his, and it, it was a... Did you know that before? I didn't know it was that. I mean, I obviously knew he went manic because right. it like... It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, <laughs> yeah. and it, like, really tore our family apart for yeah. a while. Um, but I didn't realize it was the same exact med because there's different names for it in this in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, like, the, I just I had a psychiatrist who didn't do a family background check, and there was a lot of, like, safeguards that could have. Mm-hmm. I, find they, I find they don't. They don't because I had, I had similar. I went on a medication to, for depression that shot me into a more manic state as well. And it and. Yeah, like I don't know the connection with my family, but they didn't even ask me family history of depression, which That's I, which is there. Terrifying. Yeah. That's like yeah. a really big deal. Because I didn't mm-hmm. know I was, you know, twenty eight, twenty two years old. I had no idea, you know, if there was a genetic connection or not. Yeah. You know? So. Oh man, yeah. it's just like it's, it's such an, an yeah. easy thing to check. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, it's hard when you're maybe at the same experience, but it's hard when you've like I I really felt like for a whole summer I couldn't feel a single emotion. Mm-hmm. I like felt like I was like just a walking body yeah and um so when you started to feel things again it's like even though i could recognize somatic elements from what my dad went through like i'm not gonna I'm it not feels gonna, good it, it feels, feels good so from good your you're so like yeah. desperate yeah. for like your emotions back mm-hmm. and for your feelings and like and especially as a songwriter because you get that flood of inspiration that goes oh, along man. with it which just like song after song and it's just like this brilliant stuff and yeah <laughs> you don't want it to end so you're, you're totally. i think you put blinders on to it a little bit yeah and whereas yeah. like the depression was so scary for me mm-hmm. everyone around me couldn't grasp like how how dark it was mm-hmm. on the inside and whereas like the manicness for me was the funnest thing like i felt like my mm-hmm. brain was moving so fast i was so like it's a drug it's like a drug and it, you know yeah comes from a drug but yeah it, but it's... that was way scarier for everyone watching it they mm-hmm. were like constantly telling me like something's up with you right now mm-hmm. um so that eventually like landed my friends brought me into the hospital and i had to like spend six weeks getting a hold of myself again mm-hmm. and that was in that was in canada that, that was, was in victoria which in victoria. is lucky you yeah know? yeah like, I, I was gonna yeah. say like if you're in the u.s i feel like it was a different experience oh yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like i would have had like maybe i would have had health i would have had health care under my mom mm-hmm. her work but it's mm-hmm. like it doesn't cover a lot of mental health issues sometimes you know like it, it yeah. just depends on the plan yeah you know? and six weeks in the hospital like yeah. that's yeah did that you a lucky break stop taking the antidepressants at that point Oh, yeah. When you get in the hospital, they, like, load you up. They load you up. Like, they put me on an antipsychotic that makes you, like... Brings you down. It totally brings you down. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, like... I mean, that's... Though I think it was maybe... It was lucky that I had access to the hospital. There's a lot of reforms that could help Mm -hmm. out. (laughs) Um, The lucky thing is they had a piano in this one. So they would just let me, like, pound at piano songs. And Mm -hmm. I still can't can't believe how much music they let me play even though there's like you know 30 other residents right. who have to deal with it as well 
So if you so you were in there six weeks, mm-hmm. just as a thought experiment, if you didn't have that piano, did you do you feel like you really needed that? I that think I outlet? totally like from from like high school. Like I just it's it's like the one. I I think I've been equally interested in visual art and music, but at some point music became the one that I understand how to like channel emotions. Hmm. Whereas like visual art and dance, I love, but it's like, I haven't. Um... Music is more of the language that. Yeah. that And maybe it's that I've like chosen it to like, to learn how to work through things more so than dance mm-hmm. and, and art. But um, yeah, maybe if they hadn't had a piano, I probably would have done more art, but they like, right. they had an art therapy program there that had, like, some dried-up paint and no one there to, like, <laughs> you know. It's just, like, they weren't set up for mm-hmm. it, really. Is music always therapeutic for you? Yeah. It's interesting lately because in the last few years, I'm starting to understand the business side of music, and mm-hmm. I'm, I've am i become a lot more ambitious about, like, needing it to be something bigger than just me sitting by myself and and playing music. So, and I also, um, maybe right now I don't need it as much as I did at other points in my life. But yeah, it is, it's been an interesting like journey in the last few years to, to try to let music be one, it's bigger than myself now that I have a band. Mm -hmm. So like, it can't just be this, like, me pouring my heart out. So and, the band has changed your relationship with it? Yeah, because I've had to, like, polish up, and I've had to, like, really um, work to understand what my vision is because mm-hmm. I need to communicate it to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, I, like, I think I'm just playing music alone. That's really emotional is, like, where, where that will, like, feed me on my own. It's not what I want to, like, bring to mm-hmm. the world. Like, I, I want to bring a dance party and I want to bring like big sounds mm-hmm, that are you. that have to exceed you know the emotion that I'm feeling that day mm-hmm. but you still even on that second album you still have the, the lyrics are in, are intensely personal yeah um uh, I'm thinking specifically of the song dear frank mm-hmm. which is that about is that about your father yeah yeah like it like that like yeah it has that big sound that album has that bigger sound but there's still that intense Vulner, like personal vulnerability. I don't know if if your writing has changed again since then. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I find that, that there's that really yeah. Personal just vulnerability because it's there. like that's that's where I write from. That's like like as I was saying with like those songwriting exercises. Mm-hmm. I think those are really interesting to like push myself out of out of my normal boundaries. But like in the end, when I'm writing a song, like the the angle I understand is myself, mm-hmm. and like I find. I find storytelling really fascinating. Like looking at Bruce Springsteen's writing like that, that's really interesting to me because his is somehow able to be so personal, but Mm -hmm. there's stories outside of himself Mm -hmm. that he finds like himself in that route. And um, John Prine too, who I think we bring up on every episode. I was just thinking it's it's a similar thing. He's telling other people's stories, but it's got this personal depth the same way Springsteen's lyrics do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think... At this point, they, all those songs have led from my own, my own story. And for a long time, I, I had a lot of material. A lot of material that I had to sort through in my brain. And mm-hmm. and I'm finding even like now I've been in a really good spot for at least four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's even interesting to me. Like that's uncomfortable for me now because like. <laughs> I've gotten so used to I think the Derek and I turmoil. can both empathize with that. Yeah. <laughs> when things are going too well, there's a you wanna... there's a nervousness. It's, it's like, like... Yeah, that's not normal. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a strange state for some people. And uh, would you think? Do you think that it's a common, a shared trait of songwriters to have some uneasiness that needs to be? Well, I think through? I think people get so used to writing from a dark place and also glorifying the writing that comes mm-hmm. from a dark place. I'm I'm really fascinated by my, my recent songs because I think they are coming from a really nuanced place because it's like being in a good spot and but having 
you know, the intricacies of not trusting that spot and the intricacies of like what fears arise when you are mm-hmm. trying to. I applied for a grant this year that that would make an album completely about my crazy times. So it would see see the journey from like the depression through the manicness, through like watching my father's illness, through watching his mental illness. Like it's it's that entire scope of understanding mental illness from so many different really personal angles. Um, and I've really struggled with whether that's an album I want to make. If I want, I think it's an important conversation to happen, but in my life, I don't know if I want that to define mm-hmm. my art. Because it's, at some point, that's just a fragment of who I am. Mm-hmm. And like, there's there's been like, you know, 90% pure joy in my life. Um, and that 10% of like really hard years I went through is just just a piece. And though I feel like really um, like honored that I can speak to it because I it's given me an understanding of like when I'm watching other people go through something, I get it mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, I don't know if like that's... It, I feel distanced from it and I also feel... Um, I do not want to turn it into a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I th- feel really passionately about that, that right. it's like I don't want that to be an angle that I'm using just for promotion, mm-hmm. which I don't think, like, I think it's important to me, but... Um, yeah, it's a fine line. Like, I have I have a similar, I have a, a similar story. Like, I just went public with uh, the abuse I suffered as a kid. I uh, put it on Facebook in response to the Bell Let's Talk campaign, which... I have huge problems with that campaign yeah. in general, and so um, because you, of its cash grab nature. Yeah, and well, like I don't. Why do we need a corporation to? Like, it just I don't want. I don't feel comfortable supporting the bottom line of a company that, in a yeah. lot of ways, maybe contributes to a lot of problems of mental illness in its own way. Um, but, but the point the point is that I, that I went public with it, and it's the same kind of thing. Like I really struggled for days because I was, I was thinking, you know, this is a conversation needs to be had, and me saying what I'm struggling with allows other people to be able to identify with it. And I think that's really important because that's how I've dealt with it is like, okay, well that person's dealing with it this way or this person's yeah. dealing. And I think that really helps, but it become, it can define you. It, like, the danger is that maybe that's the thing that, that you are now. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I find with like, with my academic writing and also with my music, I avoid it. I avoid it a lot. Like, but it, I think um, that song soldier, mm-hmm. um, that, I often introduce that of explaining that that was someone I was in the hospital with who escaped. And it was like this, like the ultimate triumph for us <laughs> as patients. We're like he did it <laughs> and he got brought back. But it was like, um, and there's something about like having a dance band that's mm-hmm. like presenting like a super fun night and singing like love songs all night and whatever just like mm-hmm. the entire range of human emotions I've encountered and being able to like bring that story in in not like in a way that's not like okay guys things and are getting serious it's just yeah. like this Without is another piece of my life yeah. and and I want to sing about this because like it the, was like, a piece like the Brian Wilson sort of thing you know where he's singing these mm-hmm. happy pop songs but underneath it is this like yeah there's layers of underbelly. just being like a real person that <laughs> yeah. deals with things mm-hmm. and I in the end, like I, I think my next album will be more on that angle mm-hmm. of just like the the range of like what my life is now, which still includes that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you find that it's? I mean, what I've found, but maybe it's just a skill I lack. What I find is that for me, things that need to be dealt with, you know, things that come from a negative place, is where art comes from. That's been my experience. Hmm that art is the process of convert taking something negative and turning it into something positive Hmm. yeah but maybe i'm just not good at communicating positivity it might just be my (laughs) own failing but there i think it's just like it's never so black and white like i um like i think they always do is probably like my most like pure love song but for me that that contains like all my fears about Mm -hmm. it that it's like you know we'll give this a shot but like I saw it like I saw my parents go through like a really hard 
time and like should like a marriage and should a love like try to pull through that or like where's the breaking point and like so I think I think like thinking like about the positive side of things it still is like if you're if you're being like genuine it's gonna wrap in a whole range of Mm -hmm. it's still reflecting on all these anxieties and concerns and fears and that may be just like because I'm the same way as you like I don't I, I honestly don't even think to pick up a guitar when I'm in a super good mood usually I mean it's it's mostly when I'm feeling nostalgic or feeling sad in some way or you know there, or there's something I need to work through and that's when I'll pick it up and I think that's just maybe our process of how well, we, I always of how we play, deal with that but I only write yeah huh. when that's true yeah when I kind of feel like I need to yeah I yeah guess. and I think that's just our process I don't think that like that's necessarily the way it is with everyone you know yeah. maybe it is and it's just that that manifests itself in different ways but I think there's a I mean that's that's a point to like to develop because I like two mm-hmm. years ago when I was writing a lot of the songs from they always do it was exactly that of like realizing I was in a, a really like sunny spot and that I wasn't writing music because I was I had so developed in my life to use it as this like therapeutic mm-hmm. tool to like pull me out of like the dark mm-hmm. um and I was like but I feel frantic when I'm not creating so it's like something has to be fixed here because I've like if I'm gonna be happy in my life, mm-hmm. right? It can't mean that I stop creating because, yeah, I, I need that balance. So I I feel like I had to like very specifically develop writing songs when I was feeling good. Work on those as mm-hmm. a different set of muscles. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I get anxious and I get I beat myself up when I'm not producing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what maybe can tie into certain self-destructive tendencies is when my life's going too well i'm like well i gotta do something yeah so i'll break my leg i remember when i wrote those six songs i was miserable let's get back to that (laughs) Uh, and i think there was an anecdote about um the guy what's his name from smashing pumpkins Billy Corgan. How his bandmates would always sabotage his relationships. To, <laughs> really? To keep him to writing him. songs. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. Just hand him another whiskey. Well, we'll just see what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you is you were talking when I... So I saw you when you opened up for um, Fish and Bird. Yeah, and that's, that's when we you met. Saw that's the first time I saw you. And I was very impressed. I didn't... I wouldn't have discovered you if it weren't for that. I mean, Taylor yeah. eventually would have told me about you, but um, one of the things I immediately gravitated towards and that really perked my ears up at the very beginning is your delivery. Hmm. Um, I, it's unique and it's very emotive and it kind of hit me the way you just deliver lines. Hmm. Is that something you do naturally or is it something you work on? I think um, in high school... <laughs> The theme, I don't know what is going on with my body. Those frittatas. Those frittatas. (laughs) But like, what's happening? Is it just not like processing it? Or is it just like congratulating me on feeding? (laughs) I don't know. Well, I mean, as musicians, we don't always get to eat. Yeah, true. (laughs) I eat pretty often. Um, Yeah, I think in high school, the theme of me like starting to write music was like being like so... Like, I was so excited about the words I was writing, and then I'd play it for people, and no one would understand. They'd be like, I like it, but, like, what What, what are the saying? words? And, like, the the old standard for me was people listening and having no idea what I was singing about. And me being like, really? Because that was the whole point. Like, that, <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me, I was playing for one of James's roommates once, and he asked me if I, if I, had sung, if I was singing in Welsh. And I was like, no, like, this is English. <laughs> I'm just trying. Was this recent? This was, um... Four four years ago, okay. I just has it changed since then the way you said I didn't articulate very well, mm-hmm. articulate, um, <laughs> just like that, just, just like, like that. <laughs> it's like I mean, it's I'm gonna blame it on my family. My whole family has like a strange understanding of words and how mm-hmm. to use them, and I think it's based on a little bit of spaciness that we haven't really paid attention to speech patterns by other people, mm-hmm. um, and and also just. Yeah, I had to learn how to like really over articulate. And I think Joanna Newsom was helpful mm-hmm. at first to just like 
Yeah, because she really does that. She really, you can hear the curvature of each word when she's yeah. singing. Yeah, and in an interesting way. Because I, mm-hmm. I think part of what kept me away from it was that I, sometimes when you over-articulate, it just sounds so theatrical. Mm-hmm. And it really drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I would like rather Sarah mumble. Sarah syndrome, where it's like, it's almost too much. Yeah. You know, where you're it, like, come on now. Yeah, it just it doesn't, <laughs> it's like if I always say running or like swimming and it's yeah. like it doesn't sound like running or swimming is like mm-hmm. that and that carries so much of my personality like that mm-hmm. to me is like montana mm-hmm. in in my mouth which is like i, I think it's really interesting that's to, the name of the next record montana, montana in my, in my mouth, mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great um wow All right. <laughs> but yeah it's i i've had to like figure out how to use use my voice in a way that still feels familiar to me and still feels um, like how I speak and have it come across in singing, which mm. maybe is what you're p- picked up on. Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. it just, I mean, and I knew all the words. I, I could hear everything. Good. Just, <laughs> just so you know, yeah. you can well, rest easy. I was speaking easy. in English. I dropped the whole Welsh thing. You're not <laughs> doing Welsh anymore? No, no. It's funny because my, I think since I moved to Toronto, my Montana twang has come out more. And I, I don't know if that's like a stubborn thing of being like, no. Like more than it I was even it. in Montana? Oh, or yeah, just when for you're on sure, the more than in Montana. Really? Because I never thought about it in Montana, but here, especially in singing, it's and I, I feel like I was trying to like um, pull in like more of my past mm. than like when I was just a kid and not thinking about things. Um, and I like how that, I like... It's not, it's not a like really thick accent in Montana, but it, there's there is like a twang to it that I really like. Yeah, and that's interesting too because if you're in a new place, you might want, almost want to like stamp your uniqueness, like yeah, you know, like I'm gonna stubbornly talk like this so that I'm different from all these Torontonians. <laughs> totally. <you know? laughs> On the subject of Canadia, or Canadia, Canadia. I'm gonna edit that. Out. <laughs> Put it in. If you're leaving in stomach noises, you have to leave yeah, it in Canadian. Yeah, uh, I guess. No, only edit out the things that embarrass me. Oh, I see. You guys leave everything else in. Yeah, on your own. Yeah. Um, on the subject of Canada versus the U.S., it, being a working musician in Canada now, do you is there anything that any traits that define Canadian, like for, specifically from a songwriting perspective, any traits that define a certain give away a certain Canadianess, Canadian. Um, Canadia. Canadianess. <laughs> I, Canadiana. I feel like I, and maybe it's just that I've like spent this the small community of folk musicians is like it's because it's so connected because it's there's a smaller population to work yeah, from. Yeah, and we're all city jumping and meeting each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of having put my time into Canada. I feel like I know such a like a uniquely high like a very high level of songwriting talent here that's mm. like it's it's a little unreal. Like I feel like if I list it off between like Taylor Ashton and Jenny Burkle yeah. and Anna Atkinson and um Corin um Corbin Murdoch and mm, it's like I don't know that one. he's in Vancouver and Dave Newberry mm-hmm. and like it's just like I just sometimes I like hear really good friends of mine singing Sarah Jane Skelton. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. I can't like, I can't believe they're like working on that level of talent and just so casually around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, when I've gone to Folk Alliance, have you guys been to Folk Alliance? I haven't been. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like this insane folk conference. And yeah, it's, it, it's just so expensive. To go. <laughs> yeah. It's which so is expensive. interesting. It's like, Folk music isn't the you know, idea goes, of it. Like, yeah. I wanted to go this year, but I just didn't have the money. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you get an official showcase, it for for people who are well set up, you can make a lot of money from it because then mm-hmm. you get, you know, a $10,000 deal for a folk festival in the States or something. Okay. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's built for those connections, not just mm-hmm. as like... I don't think I'm quite there yet. Yeah, and I haven't been there either, but I've gone for two years as like a volunteer and musician, so it cuts the cost. But um, inspiration-wise, it's crazy because it's like starting from 11 till 2 in the morning, There's um, every hotel room has a different mm-hmm. music act on every half hour. And you, so mm-hmm. you're just seeing like insane amounts of music, and then everyone's just jamming in the halls till 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, 
it's really exciting. And but every year it's like the Canadian songwriters. Like I'd say some of the American bands are like I I like music and I think sometimes I think I'm just craving especially by the end of folk conferences you're just like so craving rock and roll. Yeah. You're so craving like <laughs> something besides fiddle-based old-time music. <laughs> and it's like I just just for a difference in your ear. So is it with Anna that you have the Dead Dads Club? No. No, who's that with? Um, that's with this writer, Dacha Bloomfield. And she she actually married James and I. She's like oh. a, our closest friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she is this phenomenal writer. And she's she's one of my favorite collaborative people I've worked with. Um, she's a really neat strange visual artist and and a writer and like her poetry is just it's odd in a really emotional way and i it's it's been interesting working with her because i think a lot of her words by themselves are creepy to other people but i find them so tender and like meaningful but um my family has definitely like been like can you explain <laughs> is that a metaphor I'm like yeah it's beautiful mom like yeah. it's not <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, of johnny west who we're discovering is a is a mutual friend of ours uh in windsor because he has that similar style of lyric writing sometimes where it's like it's almost surgical and like very yeah. physical and very raw mm. and it, it's like if when you're first coming to it there's no you know he'll talk about uh there's a song where he talks about um carving open your spine or something like that where it's like it sounds so yeah. violent but or then that, when you uh, when you realize it's in the context of the song it's not necessarily that way yeah that love is an underage stethoscope song yeah yeah where it's like this weird yeah it's a love it's like a love about... song with this woman chopping off his limbs and yeah. like pitting him to the wall with figure skates and things oh, it's like this weird like but it but it's like it at the same time it has that same vulnerability to it in a weird way like there's definitely a a lot of poetry in the language Mm -hmm. that he uses even though it's drawing on these really Mm -hmm. dark things so is it similar Mm -hmm. then that yeah Yeah, it's got that similar sort of feel to it yeah and she lost she lost her dad a year after a year or two after mine and so that's been like definitely a meeting point for us Mm -hmm. and it's um it's just something that's like and the, the same Anna Atkinson lost her dad mm-hmm. a year before mine, and it's like that's why I was thinking it. Was mm-hmm. her. Yeah, um, and that was a huge. It's been a huge part of our friendship, just because it's hard to understand like what it's like to have like this hole in your life mm-hmm. of someone missing when like you haven't been through it, and so, um, and that it's not this like overwhelmingly sad thing that it's just. Like that's mm-hmm. such an important part for. Is it, yeah, there's an equilibrium. Like I, I lost my mom about five years ago, and there's this equilibrium you eventually achieve where you're sad about it for a long time, and then it sort of becomes this like, yeah, that sucks that she's not around anymore. But there's that, there's that yeah. aspect of it that's really positive as well. Yeah. But, it becomes more of a component than mm-hmm. a tragedy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just is, becomes a part of who you are. You end up turning it into something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she provides the lyrics. She she writes me the poems, and then I I turn them into songs. And um, hmm. it's I mean she she's going to school to become a counselor, and like it's definitely a side project for both of us, which means it's moving along pretty slowly. But um, when we get together, it's like the most dynamic, like spark driven creativity, and I feel like whenever we create. Like, we launched the Dead Dads Club, like, all in one day because we were just, like, so excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's it's one of those, like, instinctive creative things that maybe if we wanted to be more professional about it, we would take our time with. Yeah. But it's, like, for, for me, there. it's, like, if I'm going to be careful with the Rachel Cardiello Worm Electric Winter Project and, and maneuver that in, a, like, a strategic way... I need to have something that An I can outlet, just like, just yeah, like... just throw it out there because mm-hmm. it's like, it's, that's really important creativity to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's been nice having Dead Dad's Club because she's the same way that she's just like, you have to like trust those bursts of energy mm-hmm. and, and run with it or else you learn to keep shoving it down Mute and, and yeah. it will stop coming yeah. out. 
Yeah, and I think it's soften the edges and whatnot. It's it's those uh, bursts when it comes out in a burst like that. It's it's you. It's the most true. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's coming from this place. You're not it's running it through all the filters your brain normally runs yeah. things through before you say them. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a visceral um, quality, and I think people can sense that when they hear. Yeah. Material that's produced that way. Totally. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're aware of it. Yeah, Dead Dad's Club is, um, it's a little interesting to me because to me it's, it's super hilarious material and it's like, it's very like real and textural and I like, I feel so emotional about it, but I really like, I, I, the last Transact show I played, I pulled out some some of the Dead Dad's Club songs, and they were definitely off-putting to people. Yeah, and so it, I mean, <laughs> it's it, very different than sound from what you're, from yeah, what you do, yeah. And it's heavy; like they all surround a death, and yeah. it's like that's. I realize it's a lot to ask of an audience member to go into that with you, mm-hmm. and so, I'm we're trying to, we're talking a lot about like what context is to do this in, but um, where I'd like to go with it, is to re. So the song that I played the night, I'll probably play it today, Sulphur. Um, it was our first song we wrote together. We have a music video for that that we're very slowly working on. Yeah. And then um, I have another... Yeah, our goal is at the end of March or April to release like a probably like five, five to eight songs in a show. And I really want to arrange it for a string quartet. Mm. Is is what I'm like dreaming of, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Just to like, just to have a totally different route of music than my Warm Electric Winter project. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the same thing as like, with that kind of material. I think you have to be careful where you, where you present it, because mm-hmm. that's it's heavy for people, and you it can't, can be off putting. It can be off putting, and it's like sometimes you don't want to go go there right. and who knows who's in the audience who's already like mm-hmm. been there and yeah. can't handle it that day and i like i think i think there's a way to be sensitive with it um and still have it out there for like for conversation but mm-hmm. not force it uh so do you want to play a song okay this is there's not many songs i can play just on my own with viola. If I had a piano here, I could play newer stuff, but um, this one's called Myth, and I wrote it uh, for my dad. Oh, 
you'll be coming a myth Your story etched into a stone It is the stuff of legend But I'd rather have you at home Cooking in the kitchen And blasting rock and roll You are so sensitive and tough Like no one else I know And I've been so fucking brave I was scared of the dark, you know How we all got through those years I don't really know Cause we are terrified That a heart can only take So many breaks I know that you were scared When I was at my lowest low Thinking it was too much weight On such a fragile soul Well I guess I made it through mom I guess I made it I've made a habit of being strong I'm pretty fierce I've made a habit of being fierce But there are seven things that I can't think about One of them is you I love that line There are seven things that I can't think about And one of them is you I just want to know what the other six things are Our guest today has been Rachel Cardiello. You can find her music at rachelcardiello.com. That's spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L-C-A-R-D-I-E-L-L-O. You can also find her on Facebook at facebook.com slash rachelcardiellomusic or on Twitter at at R underscore Cardiello. We'll be back in two weeks with our next guest, Barzin. He's a Toronto-based songwriter who's been making music for about 20 years. He's done a lot of great records and now he's doing some experimenting with some soundtrack work we had a good time sitting down with him in his studio down on uh college street or dundas i don't remember he does this really great mellow stuff he's off he's on his way off to italy now for a tour of small town italy now before we go there's one more thing i want to talk about today is my sister mel's birthday she would have been 33 today and uh even now after uh i mean it's been almost nine years and it's like rachel said in the song you know it's still something i can't really talk about and and i'm kind of i'm ashamed of that she died right before i started my first year of university and obviously that's a time when you meet a lot of new people But it was also a time for me when I was sort of pretending like it didn't happen. And then all the people, including Travis, who I met at that part of my life, uh, I just didn't talk about her. And I lasted right to the point where it became so long that I hadn't mentioned her that I was embarrassed by it and I didn't know that made it even more difficult to talk about and i still i still have a hard time with it but now she kind of appears in a lot of my songs there's all these references to her and uh, and people pick up on them when i play shows people really notice and they i mean sometimes people are too afraid to ask me directly so they ask somebody else oh is that true about you know whatever and uh sometimes people come right up to me and ask about it and i i appreciate when they do um, I appreciate, you know, first of all, that they're listening and then they're giving me an excuse to talk about her. When I was on tour in August, somebody asked me if, uh, if it was difficult to mention her in my lyrics on stage every night and, uh, to, if it dug up all these old feelings and no, it really doesn't. It, 
it feels good. And because I had such a hard time talking about her for so long, I feel like singing about it is some small way that I can honor her life. So happy birthday, Mel. So to change the subject, if you want to get a hold of us for any reason, whether you want to be a guest on the podcast or you want to recommend somebody as a guest on the podcast, you can send us an email at iqmjpod at gmail.com or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash iqmjpod or follow us on Twitter at iqmjpod. To listen to older episodes of the podcast, you can visit us online at iqmjpod.com or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes by searching I Quit My Job Podcast. You can also listen to the most recent three or four episodes at soundcloud.com slash I Quit My Job with dashes between all of those words. If you are a subscriber, please rate and review our podcast. It helps us bump us up in the search ratings and get more listeners. And we'll see you in two weeks with our guest, Barzin. I quit my job. I quit my job. I quit my job. I'm free today. Thank you.